0: Section 10 of Handbook of Home Rule. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Handbook of Home Rule, being articles on the Irish question, the Irish Government Bill and the Irish Land Bill, by Lord Thring, Part Two. The question of finance forms a separate portion of the bill the provisions of which are contained in clauses twelve to twenty while the machinery for carrying those enactments into effect will be found in part three of the land bill the first point to be determined was the amount to be contributed by ireland to imperial expenses under the act of union it was intended that ireland should pay two seventeenths or in the proportion of one to seven and a half of the total expenditure of the united kingdom this amount being found exorbitant it was gradually reduced until at the present moment it amounts to something under the proportion of one to eleven and a half the bill fixes the proportion at one fifteenth or one to fourteen this sum being arrived at by a comparison between the amount of the income tax death duties and valuation of property in great britain and the amount of the same particulars in ireland the amounts contributed by ireland to the imperial expenditure being thus ascertained the more difficult part of the problem remained to provide the fund out of which the contribution should be payable and the mode in which its payment should be secured the plan which commended itself to the framers of the bill as combining the advantage of ensuring the fiscal unity of great britain and ireland with absolute security to the british exchequer was to continue the customs and excise duties under imperial control and to pay them into the hands of an imperial officer this plan is carried into effect by the conjoint operation of the clauses of the irish government bill and the irish land bill above referred to the customs and excise duties are directed to be levied as heretofore in pursuance of the enactments of the imperial parliament and are accepted from the control of the irish legislature which may with that exception impose any taxes in ireland it may think expedient the imperial officer who is appointed under the land bill bears the title of receiver-general and into his hands not only the imperial taxes the customs and excise duties but also all local taxes imposed by the irish parliament are in the first instance paid see clauses twenty five through twenty seven of the land bill the receiver-general having thus in his hands all imperial and local funds levied in ireland his duty is to satisfy all imperial claims before paying over any monies to the irish exchequer further an imperial court of exchequer is established in ireland to watch over the interests of the receiver-general and all revenue cases are to be tried and all defaults punished in that court Any neglect of the local authorities to carry into effect the decrees of the imperial court will amount to treason, and it will be the duty of the imperial government to deal with it accordingly. Supposing the bill to have passed, the account of the exchequer in Ireland would have stood thus. Receipts. 1. Imperial taxes. Customs. 1,880,000 pounds. Excise. £4,300,000 Total £6,180,000 2. Local taxes Stamps £600,000 Income tax at six pence in pounds £550,000 Total £1,150,000 3. Non-tax revenue Post office telegraph, etc one million twenty thousand pounds total eight million three hundred and fifty thousand pounds expenditure one contribution to the imperial exchequer on basis of one fifteenth of the imperial expenditure, viz debt charge one million four hundred and sixty six thousand pounds, army and navy. £1,666,000 Civil charges £110,000 Total £3,242,000 2. Sinking fund on one-fifteenth of capital of debt £360,000 3. Charge for constabulary £1,000,000 4. Local civil charges, other than constabulary, £2,510,000. 5. Collection of revenue. Imperial taxes, £170,000. Local taxes, £60,000. Non tax revenue, £604,000. Total, £834,000. 6 balance or surplus four hundred and four thousand pounds total eight million three hundred and fifty thousand pounds the imperial contribution payable by ireland to great britain cannot be increased for thirty years though it may be diminished if the charges for the army and navy and imperial civil expenditure for any year be less than fifteen times the contribution paid by ireland in which case one fifteenth of the diminution will be deducted from the annual imperial contribution apart from the imperial charges there are other charges strictly irish for the security of the payment of which the bill provides this it does by imposing an obligation on the irish legislative body to enact sufficient taxes to meet such charges and by directing them to be paid by the imperial receiver-general Who is required to keep an imperial and an irish account carrying the customs and excise duties in the first instance to the imperial account and the local taxes to the irish account transferring to the irish account the surplus remaining after paying the imperial charges on the imperial account on this irish account are charged debts due from the government of ireland pensions and other sums due to the civil servants and the salaries of the judges of the supreme courts in ireland some provisions of importance remain to be noticed judges of the superior and county courts in ireland are to be removable from office only on address to the crown presented by both orders of the legislative body voting separately existing civil servants are retained in their offices at their existing salaries if the irish government desire their retirement they will be entitled to pensions on the other hand if at the end of two years the officers themselves wish to retire they can do so and will be entitled to the same pensions as if their office had been abolished the pensions are payable by the receiver general out of the irish account above mentioned The supremacy of the imperial parliament over all parts of the empire is an inherent quality of which parliament cannot divest itself, inasmuch as it cannot bind its successors or prevent them from repealing any prior act. In order, however, to prevent any misapprehension on this point, Clause 37 was inserted, the efficacy of which, owing in great measure to a misprint, has been doubted. It is enough to state here that it was intended by express legislation to reserve all powers to the imperial parliament and had the bill gone into committee the question would have been placed beyond the reach of a cavil by a slight alteration in the wording of the clause this summary may be concluded by the statement that the appellate jurisdiction of the house of lords over actions and suits arising in ireland except in respect of constitutional questions reserved for the determination of the judicial committee of the privy council as explained above and with respect to claims for the irish peerages is preserved intact the object of the land bill was a political one to promote the contentment of the people and the cause of good government in ireland by setting once and for ever the vexed question relating to land to do this effectually it was necessary to devise a system under which the tenants as a class should become interested in the maintenance of social order and be furnished with substantial inducements to rally round the institutions of their country on the other hand it was just and right that the landlord should participate in the benefits of any measure proposed for remedying the evils attendant upon the tenure of land in ireland and should be enabled to rid themselves on fair terms of their estates in cases where from apprehension of impending changes or for pecuniary reasons they were desirous of relieving themselves from the responsibilities of ownership further it was felt by the framers of the bill that a moral obligation rested on the imperial government to remove if possible the fearful exasperations attending the agrarian relations in ireland rather than leave a question so fraught with danger and so involved in difficulty to be determined by the irish government on its first entry on official existence such were the governing motives for bringing in the land bill to understand an irish land bill it is necessary to dismiss at once all ideas of the ordinary relations between landlord and tenant in england and to grasp a true conception of the condition of an irish tenanted estate in england the relation between the landlord and tenant of a farm resembles with a difference in the subject matter the relation between the landlord and tenant of a furnished house in the case of the house the landlord keeps it in a state fit for habitation and the tenant pays rent for the privilege of living in another man's house in the case of the farm the landlord provides the farm with house farm buildings gates and other permanent improvements required to fit it for cultivation by the tenant and the tenant pays rent for the privilege of cultivating the farm receiving the proceeds of that cultivation the characters of owner and tenant however long the connection between them may subsist are quite distinct the tenant does no acts of ownership and never regards the land as belonging to himself quitting it without hesitation if he can make more money by taking another farm in ireland the whole situation is different instead of a farm of some one hundred or two hundred acres the tenant has a holding varying say from five to fifty acres for which he pays an annual rent charge to the landlord he or his ancestors have in the opinion of the tenant acquired a quasi ownership in the land by making all the improvements and he is only removable on non payment of the fixed rent or non fulfilment of certain specified conditions in short in ireland the ownership is dual the landlord is merely the lord of a quasi copyhold manner consisting of numerous small tenements held by quasi copyholders who so long as they pay what may be called the manorial rents and fulfil the manorial conditions regard themselves as independent owners of their holdings an irish land bill then dealing with tenanted estates is in fact merely a bill for converting the small holders of tenements held at a fixed rent into fee simple owners by redemption of the rent due to the landlord and a transfer of the land to the holders every scheme therefore for settling the land question in ireland resolves itself into an inquiry as to the best mode of paying off the rent charges due to the landlord the tenant cannot of course raise the capital sufficient for paying off the redemption money some state authority must therefore intervene and advance the whole or the greater part of that money and recoup itself for the advance by the creation in its own favour of an annual charge on the holding sufficient to repay in a certain number of years both the principal and interest due in respect of the advance the first problem then in an irish land bill is to settle the conditions of this annuity in such a manner as to satisfy the landlord and tenant the first as to the price of his estate the second as to the amount of the annuity to be paid by him at the same time to provide the state authority with adequate security for the repayment of the advance or in other words for the punctual payments of the annuity which is to discharge the advance next in importance to the financial question of the adjustment of the annuity comes the administrative difficulty of investigating the title and thus securing to the tenant the possession of the fee simple and to the state authority the position of a mortgagee under ordinary circumstances the investigation of the title to an estate involves the examination of every document relating thereto for a period of forty years and the distribution of the purchase money amongst the head renters mortgagees and other encumbrancers who in addition to the landlord, are found to be interested in the ownership of almost every Irish estate. Such a process is costly, even in the case of large estates, and involves an expense almost, and indeed speaking generally, absolutely prohibitory in the case of small properties. Some mode, then, must be devised for reducing this expense within manageable limits, or any scheme for dealing with irish land however well devised from a financial point of view will sink under the burden imposed by the expense attending the transfer of the land to the new proprietors having thus stated the two principal difficulties attending the land question in ireland it may be well before entering on the details of the sale and purchase of land ireland bill to mention the efforts which have been made during the last fifteen years to surmount those difficulties the acts having this object in view are the land acts of eighteen seventy 1870, eighteen seventy two and eighteen eighty one brought in by mr gladstone and the land purchase act of eighteen eighty five brought in by the conservative lord chancellor of ireland lord Ashbourne. the act of eighteen seventy as amended by the act of eighteen seventy two provided that the state authority might advance two-thirds of the purchase money an attempt was made to get over the difficulties of title by providing that the landed estates court or board of works shall undertake the investigation of the title and transfer and distribution of the purchase money at a fixed price the act of eighteen eighty one increased the advance to three-quarters leaving the same machinery to deal with the title both under the acts of eighteen seventy and eighteen eighty one the advance was secured by an annuity of five per cent payable for the period of thirty-five years and based on the loan of the money by the english exchequer at a three and a half per cent interest these acts produced very little effect the expense of dealing with the titles in the landed estates courts proved overwhelming and neither the board of works under the act of eighteen seventy two nor the land commission under the act of eighteen eighty one found themselves equal to the task of completing inexpensively the transfer of the land further the tenants had no means of providing even the quarter of the purchase money required by the act of eighteen eighty one in eighteen eighty five lord ashbourne determined to remove all obstacles at the expense of the english exchequer by the land act of that year he authorized the whole of the purchase money to be advanced by the state with a guarantee by the landlord to be carried into effect by his allowing one-fifth of the purchase money to remain in the hands of the agents of the state authority until one-fifth of the purchase money had been repaid by the annual payments of the tenants the principal was to be recouped by an annuity of four per cent extending over a period of forty-nine years instead of an annuity of five percent extending over a period of thirty-five years the english exchequer was to advance the money on the basis of interest at three and an eighth percent instead of at three and a half percent though sufficient time has not yet elapsed to show whether the great bribe offered by the act of eighteen eighty five at the expense of the british taxpayer will succeed in overcoming the apathy of the tenants it cannot escape notice that if the act of eighteen eighty five succeeds better than the previous acts it will owe that success solely to the greater amount of risk which it imposes on the english exchequer and not to any improvement in the scheme in respect of securing greater certainty of sale to the irish landlord or of diminishing the danger of loss to the english taxpayer such being the state of legislation and such the circumstances of the land question in ireland in the year eighteen eighty six the irish government bill afforded mr gladstone the means and the opportunity of bringing in a land bill which would secure to the irish landlord the certainty of selling his land at a fair price without imposing any practical liability on the english exchequer and would at the same time diminish the annual sums payable by the tenant while it also conferred a benefit on the irish exchequer these advantages were as will be seen gained firstly by the pledge of english credit on good security instead of advancing money on a mere mortgage on irish holdings made directly to the english government and secondly by the interposition of the irish government as the immediate creditor of the irish tenant the scheme of the land purchase bill is as follows the landlord of an agricultural estate occupied by tenants may apply to a department of the new irish government to purchase his estate the tenants need not be consulted as the purchase if completed will necessarily better their condition and thus at the very outset the difficulty of procuring the assent of the tenants which has hitherto proved so formidable an obstacle to all irish land schemes disappears the landlord may require the department to which he applies, called in the bill the state authority, to pay him the statutory price of his estate, not in cash, but in consols valued at par. This price, except in certain unusual cases of great goodness or of great badness of the land, is twenty years' purchase of the net rental. The net rental is the gross rental after deducting from that rent tithe-rent charge, the average percentage for expenses in respect of bad debts, any rates paid by the landlord, and any like outgoings. The gross rental of an estate is the gross rent of all the holdings on the estate, payable in the year ending in November 1885. Where a judicial rent has been fixed, it is the judicial rent. Where no judicial rent has been fixed, It is the rent to be determined in the manner provided by the bill to state this shortly the bill provides that an irish landlord may require the state authority to pay him for his estate in consols valued at par a capital sum equal to twenty times the amount of the annual sum which he has actually put into his pocket out of the proceeds of the estate the determination of the statutory price is so far as the landlord is concerned The cardinal point of the bill and in order that no injustice may be done the landlord an imperial commission called the land commission is appointed by the bill whose duty it is to fix the statutory price and where there is no judicial rent to determine the amount of rent which in the character of gross rental is to form the basis of the statutory price the commission also pay the purchase money to the landlord or distributed amongst the parties entitled, and generally the Commission act as intermediaries between the landlord and the Irish State Authority, which has no power of varying the terms to which the landlord is entitled under the bill, or of judging of the conditions which affect the statutory price. If the landlord thinks the price fixed by the Land Commission, as the statutory price, inequitable, he may reject their offer and keep his estate supposing however the landlord to be satisfied with the statutory price offered by the land commission the sale is concluded and the land commission make an order carrying the required sum of consols which is for convenience hereinafter called the purchase money although it consists of stock and not of cash to the account of the estate in their books after deducting one per cent for the cost of investigation of title and distribution of the purchase money and upon the purchase money being thus credited to the estate the landlord ceases to have any interest in the estate and the tenants by virtue of the order of the land commission become owners in fee simple of their holdings subject to the payment to the irish state authority of an annuity the amount of the annuity is stated in the bill it is a sum equal to four pounds per cent on a capital sum equal to twenty times the amount of the gross rental of the holding. The illustration given by Mr. Gladstone in his speech will at once explain these apparently intricate matters of finance. A landlord is entitled to the Hendon estate producing twelve hundred pounds a year gross rental. To find the net rental, the Land Commission deduct from this gross rental outgoings estimated at about twenty per cent, or £240 a year. This makes the net rental £960 a year, and the price payable to the landlord is £19,200, 20 years' purchase of £960, or £960 multiplied by 20, which, as above stated, will be paid in consols. The tenants will pay, as the maximum amount for their holdings, four pounds per cent for forty-nine years on the capitalized value of twenty years purchase of the gross rent this will amount to nine hundred and sixty pounds instead of twelve hundred pounds which they have hitherto paid a saving of two hundred and forty pounds a year will thus be effected from which however must be deducted the half-rates to which they will become liable formerly paid by the landlord this four percent charge payable by the tenants will continue for forty-nine years but at the end of that time each tenant will become a free owner of his estate without any annual payment next as to the position of the state authority the state authority receives nine hundred and sixty pounds from the tenants it pays out of that sum four pounds per cent not upon the gross rental but upon the net rental capitalized that is to say 768 pounds to the imperial exchequer the state authority therefore receives 960 pounds and assuming that the charge of collecting the rental is 2% that is to say 19 pounds 4 shillings the state authority will out of 960 pounds have to disperse only 787 pounds 4 shillings leaving it a gainer of 172 pounds 16 shillings or nearly eighteen percent the result then between the several parties is the landlord receives nineteen thousand two hundred pounds the tenantry pay two hundred and forty pounds a year less than they have hitherto paid and at the end of forty-nine years are exempt altogether from payment the gain of the irish state authority is one hundred and seventy two pounds sixteen shillings a year another mode of putting the case shortly is as follows the english exchequer lends the money to the irish state authority at three and a half percent and an annuity of four percent paid during forty nine years will as stated above repay both principal and interest for every hundred pounds lent at three and an eighth per cent on the sale of an estate under the bill the landlord receives twenty years purchase the tenant pays four pounds per cent on twenty years purchase of the gross rental the irish state authority receives four pounds per cent on the gross rental the english exchequer receives four per cent on the net rental only the repayment of the interest due by the irish authority to the english exchequer is in no wise dependent on the punctual payment of their annuities by the irish tenants nor does the english government in any way figure as the landlord or creditor of the irish tenants the annuities payable by the tenants are due to the irish government and collected by them while the interest due to the english government is a charge on the whole of the irish government funds and further these funds themselves are paid into the hands of the imperial officer whose duty it is to liquidate the debt due to his master the imperial exchequer before a sixpence can be touched by the irish government it is not then any exaggeration to say that the land purchase bill of eighteen eighty six provides for the settlement of the irish land question without any appreciable risk to the english exchequer and with the advantage of securing a fair price to the landlord a diminution of annual payments to the tenant with the ultimate acquisition of the fee simple also a gain of no inconsiderable sum to the Irish exchequer in order to obviate the difficulties attending the investigation of title and transfer of the property the bill provides as stated above that on the completion of the agreement for the sale between the landlord and the commission the holding shall vest at once in the tenants it then proceeds to declare that the claims of all persons interested in the land shall attach to the purchase money in the same manner as though it were land the duty of ascertaining these claims and distributing the purchase money is vested in the land commission who will undertake the task in exchange for the one per cent which they have as above stated deducted from the purchase money as the cost of conducting the complete transfer of the estate from the landlord to the tenants the difficulty of the process of dealing with the purchase money depends of course on the intricacy of the title if the vendor is the sole unencumbered owner he is put in immediate possession of the stock constituting the price of the estate if there are encumbrances as is usually the case they are paid off by the land commission capital sums are paid in full jointures and other life charges are valued according to the usual tables drainage and other temporary charges are estimated at their present value permanent rent charges are valued by agreement or in the case of disagreement by the land commission a certain minimum number of years purchase being assigned by the bill to any permanent rent charge which amounts to only one-fifth part of the rental of the estate on which it is charged this provision being made to prevent injustice being done to the holders of rent charges which are amply secured it remains to notice certain other points of some importance The landlord entitled to require the state to purchase his property is the immediate landlord that is to say the person entitled to the receipt of the rent of the estate no encumbrancer can avail himself of the privilege the reason being that the bill is intended to assist solvent landlords and not to create a new encumbered estates court the landlord may sell this privilege and possibly by means of this power of sale may be able to put pressure on his encumbrancers to reduce their claims in order to obtain immediate payment the land commission in their character of quasi arbitrators between the landlord and the irish state authority have ample powers given to enable them to do justice if the statutory price as settled according to the act is too low they may raise it to twenty-two years purchase instead of twenty years purchase if it is too high they may refuse to buy unless the landlord will reduce it to a proper price in the congested districts scheduled in the bill the land on a sale passes to the irish state authority as landlords and not to the tenants the reason being that it is considered that the tenants would be worsened rather than bettered by having their small plots vested in them in fee simple for the same cause it is provided that in any part of ireland tenants of holdings under four pounds a year may object to become the owners of their holdings which will thereupon vest on a sale in the irish state authority lastly the opportunity is taken of establishing a registry of title in respect of all property dealt with under the bill the result of such a registry would be that any property entered therein would ever thereafter be capable of being transferred with the same facility and at as little expense as stock in the public funds end of section ten